Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Now the word before me in the original language carries this idea, turn and face me. In other words, you're not gonna turn and face this crowd and do what they want. You're gonna turn and face me because your allegiance is to me. If God's gonna use you, if you're gonna be an impact player for God, you're gonna have to be a man or woman of distinction and determination and devotion. There's going to have to be a genuine heartfelt love in your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Jesus changed it centuries later in one word. He said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Seconds like unto it, you love your neighbor as yourself. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul writes, The love of Christ constrains me. It compels me. It controls me. The love of Christ constrains me, for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he, Jesus, died for all, that we which live should not live unto ourselves, but unto him which died for us and rose again. If your mentality is, I'm going to do the following things and ask God to bless it, you love me, you, you love yourself. But when you say, dear Lord, you gave it all on the cross, I wouldn't be alive without you. I wouldn't be saved without you. I wouldn't have a home in heaven without you. I would have no reason for existence without you. I didn't come to tell you what I'm going to do. I came to ask you, since you love me and I love you, what is it you want for my life? Can you honestly say that you really genuinely love Jesus? I don't know what you think of Senator John McCain. I have lots of problems with his political views but I have a high respect for his military career. A lot of people do not know that McCain was in Vietnam conflict, shot down in an airplane, and spent five and a half years in a communist prison in Vietnam. Towards the end of the time, they didn't know it was the end of the war, but towards the end of the time, they began to gather up some of the, uh, the uh, prisoners, and they brought them to a central location near Hanoi. They affectionately called it the Hanoi Hilton Hotel. They actually began to have some fellowship one with another because they were putting them 30 and 40 to a room. McCain at the Republican National Convention 30 years ago told this story. I went back to the internet today to make sure I got the facts right. He said he met a young man named Mike Christian. Mike Christian was a African-American who was raised in Selma, Alabama, and did not have shoes until he was 13 years of age. At 17, he joined the United States Navy and applied himself and became a pilot. But his plane was shot down. So here is John and here's Mike, and they became friends. It's interesting, they were on a semi-starvation diet. They were issued blue to wear. They actually became a little more free and some packages were coming in from the United States of America. And the Kong got out what they wanted, and then they'd shove some boxes in there. 
<coughs> according to McCain, there was one box and it had, all it had was handkerchiefs and scarves. And they were red and white. Didn't mean too much to most of the guys, but it meant a whole lot to Mike Christian because he had a thin piece of bamboo he'd made a needle out of and some type of thread. And he took those red and white and he began to put them in little strips as best he could and, and, and sewed them inside his shirt to make a little homemade American flag. McCain said, boy, you talk about destitute, you talk about down, you talk about wondering if we were ever going to get out of, as POWs. He said, but they would bring us what they called soup. And he said, one day Mike Christian took his shirt off and hung it up. And he said, boys, say it. He said, we got up and said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And every afternoon, just before they ate, he'd take off his shirt and say, boys, say it. He said, morale was increasing. We thought to ourselves, maybe we will get out of here. And one day they came in and took Mike Christian's shirt, took him outside, left him close enough so everybody in the prison could hear it. And for the next two hours, they unmercifully beat that, air, that, air, that uh, pilot. When they took him and threw him back in, his face was swollen. He was beaten almost beyond recognition. They had no supplies. They said, we did the best we could to kind of doctor him up. He said, there were only four light bulbs in the room. He said, amazingly enough, I got ready to go to bed, and I watched Mike Christian crawl over to the box and put his hand in and take out another red handkerchief and another white one and take that other blue shirt that they had just thrown in for him and sit himself up. He said his face was almost swollen so his eyes could barely see. And with trembling hands, he started stitching a second American flag. And that night, my wife will testify, I cried about as probably as hard as I've ever cried in my life. And she said, honey, what's wrong with you? I said, Regina, I've been all over the United States of America. I preached in all kinds of places, but I don't know. I don't know that I've ever met a Christian who loves Jesus Christ as much as Mike Christian loves the United States of America. He was willing to sacrifice his own life for what you're enjoying called freedom. So I got a question tonight. Do you love Jesus? Can you prove it by your lifestyle? I've been watching this week, and there's just a handful of you, not many. You haven't sung all week. Let me tell you, mister, you don't love Jesus. You love yourself. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when your heart loves Jesus, it'll come out your mouth, and you'll sing to him. Some of you intentionally don't listen. That's because you love yourself. Your whole solar system is right around you. You're preparing for the worst crash you've ever had in your life. But there's a group of young people here tonight that I'm excited about because I'm convinced there's going to be a group of young men and young ladies, and I've been praying a better part of the afternoon that God would call you and use you not only to love the Lord Jesus and be a man of distinction and determination and devotion, but he says for the land. Now, that would be the land of Israel. Let me talk to you about the land of America. You ever stop to think about what happened today? Did you know why you were at camp? 3,000 innocent children were executed. You say, I didn't hear about that. Was it on the news? They don't want to put it on the news. They call it abortion, but God calls it murder. You have to understand in Luke chapter 1, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she went to see her cousin Elizabeth that was pregnant with John, the Bible does not say the fetus moved. It says the babe leaped in her womb. 
You need to use Bible terms. That's not a lump, that's a life. And you need to understand, young people, that when they go in and take an instrument and cut up a living child, that is murder. When they take salt so that it breathes in pain and then prematurely delivered, that's not abortion. That is a murderer individual. It's going on in the United States of America. I read tonight as I was looking up some things on our country that this nation now every single year is consuming $225 billion worth of booze. Proverbs 20 and verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever seed thereby is not wise. Let me just put it so you understand it. You're stupid if you imbibe an alcohol. It's destroying this nation. Every 31 minutes, somebody dies from an alcohol-related death in this country. 48% of fatalities on the highway are because of alcohol. God forbid, but we were hit years ago. When I was a teenager, we were hit by a drunk driver. It almost sent my entire family out into eternity. You may think it's kind of funny, but buddy, when they come and pick you up off the side of the road, you won't think it's funny then. You go to a state school, you can't get a New Testament, but they'll talk to you about the new age. They'll make fun of creation and they'll laud evolution. Let me tell you, Mr. Darwin's been in hell for years and he knows better now. This, this was not a big bang. It's a big God that made this, but it's being taught in every state university. Opioid epidemic now, every year, over 42,000 people are dying from drugs. We're in a real mess. Rape has increased in the last 10 years 700%. It's almost dangerous for a young lady to go out at night by herself because she could be the next victim. Whoever dreamed that about 4% of America, and that's what they estimate there are for those who have alternate, quote, lifestyles, would be able to railroad so many things through Congress. Three years ago this week, the Supreme Court legitimized same-sex marriage. It makes no difference what the Supreme Court legitimized. The Bible still says in Leviticus 18.22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as thou liest with womankind. It is an abomination. You know what I'm concerned about tonight, young people? I'm older than almost everybody in this building. I don't know how much life I have left. I'm fighting for you. I've enjoyed many of the things in the United States of America. I have inherited for some people that really love this nation. And I'm here tonight not to shame you, but to challenge you. One of the reasons I like to preach in camps is because I'm convinced of this. Though we're $20 trillion, almost $21 trillion in debt, it looks like you don't have a future. It looks like this place is going to sink. I'm convinced of this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Did you realize, young people, you're sitting in an opportune place tonight to give your life fully and totally to Jesus Christ so that God could revive your heart, and if you will study history, you will find most revivals began among young people. It could start in your heart. It could start in your life. It could spread through your church. It could spread through your community. And God might look down and say, you know, there's some young people who really love me. They're people of determination and they're people of distinction and they're people of devotion. And I'm gonna move in on that society and I'm gonna bring a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I'm not against you, young people. I'm cheering for you. But you can go home and play tech games and you can sit there and play with your fingernails and you can count and see how many ridges there are and forget everything I'm saying and let this country be destroyed. But remember this, you're going to be the bad benefactor of that. You're not going to enjoy the things that I've enjoyed.
and you're sitting on the brink of disaster this very night. Will you be a man or woman for the land? But it's not only this land, it's lands all across the world. 195 different nations. 17,000 people groups have some type of gospel. 7,000 still do not. Depending on who you read, there's about 7.47 billion people, close to 7.5 billion people, and it's still estimated by some of the different mission boards, 50% have never heard the name Jesus once. I was preaching in Thailand. There was a lady getting water out of the well, just like John 4. I said to my translator, please ask this lady if she knows who Jesus is. And she turned and looked at us and said in the Thai language, I don't think he lives in this village. I was the first person to ever use the name Jesus in her presence. My translator began to weep. I said, you keep that heart, and we'll see some Thai people come to Jesus. You know what, young people, some of you don't realize, you, you heard the gospel this week. Most of you had heard the gospel before. Some of you, just a few of you, the first time you ever heard it. Did you realize three-fourths of the world's population has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel? They don't really know who Jesus is. They don't know what it means to have grace. They don't know what faith is. They don't know what hell is all about. They don't understand that because nobody's gone to them. But you know what? You could. It's called full-time Christian service. Let me explain. 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, overseer, leader in the church, he desires a good work. People ask me, how do you know if God's calling you to full-time Christian service? Desire. Desire. You're a young man, and you've said to yourself, you know, I'd really like to be a youth pastor. You think you got that idea from the devil? You think you woke up one morning, and Satan was standing in your bed and said, hi, why would you like to be a youth pastor? You said, no, I don't think that. Well, look, if it didn't come from the devil, by process of elimination, it must have come from God. You say, well, how would I know? Surrender. Surrender. Just tell God, I'll do anything, go anywhere, do anything that you want to give me. Let me explain, because some of you don't understand full-time Christian service. I'm in full-time Christian services in evangelists. There's some pastors at the bank, full-time Christian service. The people here on full-time staff are in full-time Christian service, teaching in a Christian school, uh, in the music uh, part of the ministry. Could be a youth pastor, any number of things. Did you ever stop to think that people could come to work at a camp like Southland and be a full-time Christian service? You say, really? Yeah. These people have given themselves to folks like you so that your life can count for Jesus Christ. I have news for you. They're not making much money here. They're not driving fair, real fancy cars. But they came to a time and a place, most of them when they were your age, and they said, Lord Jesus, here's my life, the totality of it. I remember, now Mrs. Herbster, I'm going to really date us, but I remember when Mrs. Amy Herbster gave her life to Jesus Christ and Brother Mike, I told her she needed to tell the guy she was dating, take a long walk over short pier. You better say, man, I was your friend. Amen. So he married the right girl. And, you know, it's an amazing thing. Here they got four children being raised for the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to use you. God's got big plans for you. You know, there's some of you in this building and you could be in missionary medicine. God could use you. My daughter came to me when she was in high school. She said, I think God wants me to be a nurse. I said, explain that. And she told me about different things that she could do in missions and has done a lot of it. She's traveled to many, many countries for three years. She was in Shanghai Medical School, and she was teaching communist Chinese girls English and nursing and leading them to Jesus Christ. 
I went over there to baptize five of the girls that she'd left to Jesus, led to Jesus Christ. And uh, we went in and sat in Shanghai Medical School and all these girls were around. And I still remember this. They were uh, talking and then my daughter kind of nudged me at the, uh, on my knee and she said, it's your turn. And so I looked at the girls who spoke English and I said, uh, have you ever wondered how you got here? Oh, we evolutionists. I said, very interesting. I said, ask me how I got my watch. One girl said, how you get watch? I said, I looked down one day and two hairs crossed a freckle and there was an explosion and <laughs> I got a watch. And they all started saying, that's not true. I said, it's just as smart as the Big Bang Theory. We want to talk to you. 30 girls, 30 girls showed up in my daughter's room. Every one of them I had the precious privilege of giving the gospel to. Did you realize God could use you as a nurse? Did you realize that God could use you in translation work? Did you realize that God could use you as a missionary pilot? I was preaching in Mexico, and I said to the pastor, please give me your testimony. I listened to it by my translator. Here's what he said. He said there were two Catholic churches in the village where we were, and they were fighting with each other, physically fighting. I thought only Baptists did that, but these guys were physically fighting. And he said, uh, I was out there and I was in, in the fight too and suddenly there's an airplane that came by, a small one. It came back and evidently the guy who came saw all these people down there, didn't know what they were doing. So he managed to open the door and he started pushing out Gospels of John and books of Romans. I mean, it's just... Hey, they're just coming out of the air and they're landing all over the place and some of the people stopped fighting. This guy said, I quit fighting. I picked up the gospel of John. He said, I, in the beginning was the word, words with God. He said, I got so interested. He said, I went home and read the entire gospel of John. He said, I said to my wife, this is what we need. We got to get this Jesus. And he said, I read her the gospel of John. She got saved. He said, I read my kids the gospel. That's the only part of the Bible he had. He said, I read my kids the gospel of John, and they got saved. And he said, then I started knocking on my neighbor's door in a city. Have you ever read this? And he said, I'd go in, and I'd read part of this, and I told him the best I could. His church is only running about 350 people. That's not a bad thing to happen. In the next village over, his son is a pastor. And you know, there is a missionary pilot somewhere, and he probably won't know this till he gets to heaven. But he saw all these people. He managed to get the door open. He pushed out all the gospel of John and the books of Romans. Somebody translated it into the Spanish language. Somebody printed it. He pushed it out. People picked it up. And there's lots of people going to heaven. God wants to use you. Now, you're going to have to decide tonight. Is this insignificant to you? You just want this service to be over? It'll be over in just a minute. And you'll be able to go live for yourself and amount to nothing. That's up to you. But God Almighty wants to use you. He's looking tonight, once again, for people that can make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. We go on mission trips, and often I go with a group called Operation Renewed Hope, and we take medical mission trips, and we see hundreds and thousands of people. And I cannot tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was preaching in Indonesia in a Muslim town. And uh, we, we had treated them during the day. They had come to listen. It began to rain. I said, oh, Lord, we have spent so much money. Would you please help these people to listen? Well, they didn't just leave. They found cover. And so I preached a little bit louder. The Lord helped the storm to stop. I gave a public invitation. People came out of this building and this building and this building. They came from all over and they stood down front. And in essence, they said, we renounce all and we received Jesus. Somebody say Amen. You see, Jesus Christ can do that. He can use you. I don't ask people, why should you go into full-time Christian service? 
I want to ask you, why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you? If you'll seek first the kingdom of God and make yourself available, if God makes you a businessman, a banker, or puts you in computers, you will never regret because you remember on a night just like this, I surrendered for whatever God wanted because I want to be a man for the land. I want to be a person that God can use. But at the same time, God is going to call some of you, and I believe is tonight, and you've been waiting for some jerk, you've been waiting for some big explosion, you've been waiting for some uh, mammoth situation, and what God's been doing is saying, I want you. I want you to marry a preacher. I want you to go to the mission field. I want you to touch somebody else's life. I remember years ago, I went to Togo, and I was over there with a buddy of mine. There's a missionary doctor named Brother Cropsey, He's uh, gotten pretty old. I think he's had to come home. And uh, he said, you know, if you lead one of the village chiefs to Christ, the village is open to you. Well, he had led three or four of them to Christ and was discipling them. He said, Brother Farrell, I'm going to send you tonight to a village where the chief has been saved, and you're going to get a chance to preach to the entire village. Man, they welcomed us. I went in and I asked the chief of the translator about how he had gotten saved and he gave me a good testimony and he said, now you can tell my people. Wow, was I excited. They all gathered around. I don't know how many of them. My translator was named John. I went over the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I explained all that their idols wouldn't work and all their fetishes they'd have to turn. And then I said, now, we're going to come back tomorrow. If you understand and want to be saved, you stay and we'll help you receive Jesus. And the rest of you come back tomorrow. I dismissed that service three times. In fact, I fussed at John. I said, John, please tell these people only those who want to be saved should stay. Everybody else needs to go home. He said, Brother Farrell, I've told them that three times. There's a few people that left. All these people want to be saved. Man, I began to cry like a little boy. You see, young people, when I was in high school, I couldn't give an oral book report without getting scared out of my mind. And here are all these people that want Christ. And one at a time, we began to lead them to Jesus Christ. Did you know God could use you to do that? What will you wish you had done when you come to the end of your life? Are you a man of distinction, a woman of distinction? Are you a person of determination? Can you say tonight, I'm the kind of individual that's really devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's suppose I didn't close the service. Let's suppose Jesus walked up here and he said, Farrell, go sit down. He said, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard the message tonight, and I'm the one who's looking for a man or woman for the land. And he said, I can tell you who's already qualified because I know every one of you. I know everything about you. I know what you do at home. I know what you listen to. I know what your, what your life is all about. And I can tell you which ones are already a man or woman for the land. With the following people, please stand and come and stand with me. Now, you know the answer to this. What do you call your name? You see, you can come to the end of service and say, I'm a man for the land. But no, the question is, what do you call your name? Have you given all you are to all that he is? You sit here tonight and say, no, I haven't, but I want to. That's the person that I'm talking to tonight. That's the kind of people God's using. You've listened all week, and I've appreciated it. I have a friend of mine who's over 80 years of age. His name is Dr. Bob Dayton. When Brother Dayton was 19 years old in a service like we're having tonight, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Went to a place called Nicaragua. I preached an area-wide crusade over there many years ago in Managua, Nicaragua. Lots of people came to Jesus. 
Interestingly enough, when he went over there, BIMI, the board that he works with, estimates there were seven Bible-preaching churches. But he stayed 47 years. And by the time he had trained the different pastors, there were 180 Bible-preaching churches. Over 47,000 people had been publicly baptized. Over 600 people had been trained for missions or preaching. Watch me, because one man, one man said, I want to be a man for the land. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherbster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.